0: Welcome back to the Yukon Internal Medicine Ambulatory Podcast. We will cover our patient management of heart failure in this podcast, focusing on signs, symptoms, diagnostic workup, and management with co directed medical therapy. First, it is essential to recognize heart failure as a clinical syndrome with symptoms and signs caused by structural or functional cardiac abnormality, which we are going to corroborate with an elevated level of natriuretic peptide and objective evidence of pulmonary or systemic vascular congestion. Now we're going to move more in detail with the clinical manifestations and physical exam. Symptoms of heart failure would include shortness of breath, at rest or on exertion, lower extremity edema, orthopnea, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, palpitations. Other symptoms can include abdominal discomfort or ascites due to hepatic congestion and fatigue that was on exertion. On physical exam, we can find jugular venous distension, tachycardiac, Can auscultate for arrhythmias or for an S3. We will also find pitting edema on the lower extremities. In regards to the tachycardia, it is important to mention that this tachycardia corresponds to an increase in heart rate to compensate for a lower cardiac output. So it's something to keep in mind and it's not always a good sign. Now we're going to move to the diagnostic workup for a patient that presents with heart failure for the first time. It is essential to include a comprehensive laboratory workup. For example, a CVC will help us rule out anemia. ATSH can help us rule out hyper or hypothyroidism, as both conditions can be contributed factors for heart failure. A comprehensive metabolic panel will help us evaluate liver enzymes as hepatic congestion or deposit diseases, like hemochromatosis, can affect the liver enzymes. It is also crucial to monitor the kidney function and rule out any type of kidney disease, aki, CKD, or establish a baseline so we can start adding medications. Other laboratory workup should include a hemoglobin A1c and a lipid panel, as metabolic syndrome contributes to heart failure. Last but not least, our favorite, the BNP, or brain natriuretic peptide. For this enzyme, we have to remember the cutoff of 100. Less than 100 is associated with a negative likelihood ratio of 0.11 for heart failure. But remember, this can be falsely elevated in conditions like older age, arrhythmia, and renal disease. But it can still be useful. For example, if we can trend it, if we have a prior BNP, we can definitely trend it and see which direction are going and put it in a clinical context. On the other hand, obesity and pericardial constriction can cause falsely decreased levels. An EKG is very important in the workup. It will help us rule out any type of arrhythmia, like atrial fibrillation being the most common one, new bundle branch blocks, coronary syndrome, Uh, For example, if we find ST changes, elevations, depressions, corresponding to STEMI or NSTEMI, or even Q waves, which can suggest that that the patient had a prior MI. And I am mentioning coronary syndrome, ST, T wave changes, or Q waves, because the most important cause of heart failure is actually coronary disease. So if coronary disease or ischemic cardiomyopathy is suspected, this patient should undergo workup with coronary angiogram. For imaging, we're gonna do a chest x-ray as it will help us determine signs of pulmonary vascular congestion. Last but not least, a transthoracic echocardiogram, crucial in assessing the left ventricular ejection fractions, ruling out valvular diseases or diastolic dysfunction. If all of the above workup is unrevealing, the doctors can consider additional tests. For example, a cardiac MRI to assess infiltrative diseases or genetic testing to rule out hereditary cardiomyopathies. Now, let's move on to my favorite topic, the classification of heart failure. I am briefly going to mention the three most important classifications that you need to know. The first one is by stages. Stage A, stage B, stage C, and stage D. The stage A corresponds to the patients who are at risk of heart failure, but they don't have any signs, they don't have any symptoms, nor elevated cardiac biomarkers, or any type of structural heart disease. These are the classic patients that we see in our clinic with diabetes, obesity, or hypertension. Stage B are the pre-heart failure patients who have known structural heart disease, abnormal cardiac function, or elevated cardiac biomarkers, for example, elevated BNP or troponins. Stage C corresponds to the patients with symptomatic heart failure. These are the patients who have symptoms of heart failure and structural or functional cardiac abnormalities. Stage D corresponds to the patients with advanced heart failure which are patients with severe symptoms recurring recurrent hospitalizations despite being on goal-directed medical therapy who require more advanced therapies or even palliative care. Heart failure can also be classified by the degree of left ventricular ejection fraction as follows. Heart failure with reduced ejection fractions are the symptomatic patients with left ventricular ejection fraction equal or less than 40%. Then we have patients with heart failure with mildly reduced ejection fractions are symptomatic patients with a left ventricular EF that goes from 41 to 49%. Heart failure with preserved ejection fraction are symptomatic patients with an EF equal or more than 50% and heart failure with improved ejection fractions are actually, this is a fairly new classification of heart failure and it's defined as symptomatic patients with a baseline EF equal or less than 40% with a 10 point increase from their baseline. Now we're going to classify by the severity of the symptoms. This classification is based on the New York Heart Association definition. Class one, patients with heart failure with no limitation in physical activity. Class two are patients who have mild symptoms during normal or daily activities. Class three, they have marked symptoms and they feel comfortable only at rest. And class four are patients with severe symptoms even at rest. Lastly, we're going to discuss the management of heart failure. The goals of medical management of heart failure is to reduce morbidity, by improving the quality of life, controlling the symptoms, reducing the hospitalization rate, and improving the mortality. The first medications we're gonna talk about are the ACE and R's. Both classes of medications work to inhibit the renin angiotensin aldosterone system, they prevent fluid retention, and adverse cardiac remodeling. Next, we have the angiotensin receptor, neprilysin inhibitors, ARNI, also known as sacubitril valsartan. These medications inhibit the angiotensin II and neprilysin, enhancing circulating vasoactive peptides. It is recommended in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. Now we're going to move to the beta blockers. All patients with heart failure with reduced EF should be on this type of medications unless they have any type of contraindications, for example, symptomatic bradycardia, cardiogenic shock, high-grade AV block, or are in an inotropic medication. We also have the mineralocorticoid receptor antagonists, like spironolactone and eplerone, which also help with heart remodeling and should be added to patients with an EF less than 35% and New York Heart Association Classification Class 2 to 4. Then we have the hydrolysine isosorbid dinitrate, which causes vasodilation and reduces all-cause mortality and hospitalizations. These medications can be used in patients with persistent symptomatic heart failure with EF less than 35%, despite a treatment regimen that contains all the medications that I just mentioned to you. Last, we have the new kits on the block, the SGL2 inhibitors. This medications class has been associated with reduced mortality and hospitalizations regardless of the presence of diabetes, so something very important to keep in mind. The recent EMPEROR-PreServe trial found that empagliflozin was associated with reduced risk of cardiovascular death and heart failure hospitalizations in patients with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction as well. Very important to know. Lastly, the diuretics. Although these medications are not proved to improve mortality in patients with heart failure, They certainly help with the symptoms control and reducing hospitalizations. And like Dr. Trivedi once told me, if we don't give patients diuretics, we're certainly going to increase mortality. Now, let's move on to CRT. Over the last decade, cardiac resynchronization therapy, also known as CRT, has emerged as an important treatment modality in patients with heart failure who are on optimal pharmacological therapy mainly because it contributes to a significant decrease in the progression of this condition as it improves quality of life, functional status, exercise capacity, as well as decreases the presentation of life-threatening arrhythmias. The indications for CRT include heart failure patients with New York Heart Association Class 3 or 4, EF equal or less than 35%, and QRS equal or more than 120 milliseconds. Now, before we finish discussing heart failure, it is important to remember that these patients require serial follow-ups to evaluate the clinical status, to evaluate the response to therapy, assess the needs for changes in management and titration of these medications. It is also very important that we teach our patients how to monitor their symptoms and their signs of fluid retentions, for example, by adding daily weight monitoring to their routine, and of course, doing some lifestyle modifications as well. Patients with refractory heart failure despite optimal therapy require advanced care, which may include intravenous bisodilator therapy and intravenous inotropes. Palliative specialty care, mechanical circulatory support, including left ventricular assist device and cardiac transplantation. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please follow us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. See you later.